Is it as bad as when James Franco and Anne Hathaway hosted the whole damn thing? Yeah, that like, was really bad. Like it was like a middle school talent show. Oh, man. Yeah, that was one of the... I think that might have been when I stopped watching... Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, you are in San Diego enjoying the warm weather. Cassidy Robinson, you are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. I wonder, do does anyone make it past our intros? You think? No. Do, do you think people like have ever been like, I'm going to give this a shot, and like, then fuck this? They're just like they don't even know how to. <laughs> like introduce each other well uh today we're going to be discussing a lot of things we're we're gonna start little oscar talk i didn't oh, watch them fuck yeah me neither. but fuck. obligatory okay. i i know the highlights i know all the stuff that happened uh, and i'll look up you know the winners and whatnot but we're also going to be discussing mortal Kombat, uh the new mortal Kombat that came out just last week and we are also going to be reviewing Tenacious D and The Pick of Destiny as our streaming homework, which is available to watch on Netflix. So, the Oscar kerfuffle this year, there's always something. Um, but I, I wonder, like, do they do it on purpose? Or well, are they just The kerfuffle idiots? gets more press than the wins and loses. Exactly. Like, yeah. I don't... I have... Okay, so the... The argument, or not the argument, the, the com- main complaint about the Oscars always is like, oh, I've never even heard of half of these movies. Why is, why is this nominated? I didn't see L- Portrait of a Lady on Fire with the Pearl Earring, <laughs> right? Uh, and then, so... I, I'm, but, I'm just going to go right... I mean, the the Oscars is not for that guy. No, so, I I know. I but But I'm wondering... Is the Oscars trying to, like, manufacture an audience? Because there's always something incredibly fucking stupid and controversial that it seems like it's been happening with increasing... Frequency? Yeah, because, it you know, it used to be like, a, well, this has never happened in Oscar history. And now it's like every fucking year now, uh, are they just morons? Are they just, ba- are they just bad at their jobs? So, here's what happened. Um... They decided they were going to, uh, I, I believe Steven Sudberg produced the Oscars this year along with other people, um, but they decided they were going to uh, kind of rejigger the whole thing so that they would announce Best Picture earlier and then they would do the actor and actress last. I think that's because historically more people feel competitive about those those uh awards than the best picture i don't know if that's even true but that was what was you know in the air that's what people feel and so everyone assumed that because of the way they had set it up that they were going to give the the best uh actor award to chadwick boseman posthumously as a as a posthumous uh uh, award you know because right the academy tends to do that and and I think also the fact that he was nominated for Ma Rainey's Black 
Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, right? Which wasn't a movie that like was on a lot of people's radar, so Not at it, all. it no. felt very like, oh, well, this is nice. They're going to at least give him an award, you know, right? Uh, as as kind of a a, a lovely send off, yeah, like an in memoriam sort of award, um, which yeah, I don't, I don't, I think that's silly, but. That's that was the feeling in the air, and apparently this this gives some sort of credence to you know how much people do or don't know um, the producers and the people involved with the award ceremony because that is not what happened. Um, it ended up going to Anthony Hopkins for the the father, um, and he wasn't even there to accept the award well, because. I'm- He's in England. He wasn't there because he's old and because, you know, COVID Might still be unvaccinated and he's in England and it's hard to, you know, fly internationally right now anyway. So it kind of, and I think, I believe Olivia Coleman was supposed to accept the award for him and then she wasn't able to. So it ended up being somebody else altogether. And it just kind of, the whole thing ended with this really anticlimactic, weird thing yeah, um, energy. Yeah, after uh, no man, no. I always say no man land. Nomad land was the best picture winner. Um, pretty much got a lot of the major awards, along with Frances McDormand winning again for best actress. Which I wasn't sure what happened because she did win a couple years back for Three Billboards. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. I'm sure I, I haven't seen the father. Uh, I'm sure Anthony Hopkins is is very good. He's he's a great actor. Consummate uh, he pro- professional. Yeah, he probably did deserve the award. Like I I mean I don't know I I uh, I started watching Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, um, but we just went like we're not feeling it at the time. I didn't know it was based on a play. Um, oh, I don't know. And that. so it had very like you know, play movie energy. And it was just sure. like, I don't want to watch a play right now. Right. Right. Um, you know, but Chadwick Boseman is great in it. Um, he, the thing that is the most frustrating mm-hmm. a- about all of this to me is it, the optics of it are abysmal, right? The, the optics of it are so like, they couldn't have set it up worse if they wanted. And, a big part of that was as the swag bags for the Oscars this year. Yeah, yeah. They gave out this fucking NFT. Right. Uh, which, if, have we discussed those on here? I don't know. Kind um, of. It, Google it. I still don't really understand what it is. It, it's an image that's owned by people, and for some reason it's destroying the environment. It, it's more complicated <laughs> than that. But, I'm but sure basically, it is. It, it, is a, it is an authenticated digital stamp that proves that you are the owner of this authentic version of any JPEG you can Google. They are the stupidest thing in the world. And the computing power uh, is really like that. It takes to create the, the, the certificate essentially is very bad for the environment and they have not found a way to uh, lessen the carbon footprint yet. So it's like, it's this very bad thing for the environment that is basically nothing. Like it's for some it's, for something that doesn't matter anyway. You know, right? It's an ex- exclusivity thing, and it's not going to work because the internet is already the internet. And nobody cares. Anyway, exactly. But but this specific but, NFT was of Chadwick Boseman's 
like a bust well, so of that, Chadwick Boseman's face in gold. So that's all the part I'm also getting to is they're also really easy for people to exploit artists. So they're actually not great for the artists. I, I so the, it, it, just it added to the bad optics because NFTs have been in the news lately as being this bad thing. And then on top of it, he didn't even win the award. And yeah. I mean, I've. It just feels very exploitive and very tone deaf and very cheap. I've been around the block long enough to see, you know, Oscar snafus. And as far as they go, this is a pretty mild one. I don't think anyone's going to remember. Definitely no one's going to remember who won Best Actor this year. No, they'll, they'll just know. They'll just know Chadwick Boseman didn't win. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's. Yes, ultimately, you know, go through the history of Oscars and look yeah. at all the. Is it as the, bad as uh, as when they accidentally gave it to La La Land, and then and then it was like, oops, never mind. I meant Moonlight after they are already giving their award speeches. Is it as bad as when Elizabeth Taylor went upstage ripping drunk and uh, barely got out that a uh, gladiator was the winner? Um, I think it's close, but. <laughs> my my point was: Is it as bad as when James Franco and and Ooh. Anne Hathaway hosted the whole damn thing? Yeah, that like, was really bad. Like it was like a middle school talent show. Oh man, yeah, that was one of the. I think that might have been when I stopped watching because it was that was painful. <laughs> it's bad for everybody involved. Well, it's also like you know the best. The movie that wins Best Picture isn't necessarily the best. Everybody knows that the, the right. ones that win aren't necessarily the best. It's all done. By Academy voting, and, uh-huh. the, and I, we've always put way too much investment in the Oscars, and it's I, I think, hate them. I, I didn't them. I didn't watch because I didn't have access to a cable ch- for you know yeah. network, network television, so I didn't really care. Which and that's another thing is like if you're trying to get more viewership, welcome to fucking 2021 and make that shit streaming, you dumb dumb. They usually do. They usually do. And yeah, but they ABC didn't... had the rights this year, right? So it ended up being like one of the least viewed episodes, which makes sense because. Also, nobody could see any of the movies or didn't know that they were even nominated. And, yeah. you know, and there was a, you know, we went through the list of the nominees and we were, you know, pleasantly surprised that we had seen and liked most of the Best Picture nominees. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't a bad crop of movies. Um, it's just, uh, it's also weird because it's like a half empty auditorium right like i mean there's a reason why we don't need to do award shows right now like there's a reason why this year i didn't have us do a top 10 and that's because it was a weird year there wasn't really that many good films until like the very end of the year and um you know a lot of them were released into january and february and so i just didn't really feel like it even counts like i put a mulligan on the entire 2020 and we'll see how 2021 rolls out um i mean i think that they did what they could especially once hbo go is like okay we are the king of movies now then then it kind of started to like snowball and feel like a movie year again but, well, yeah, but it that, took a while for that to happen that ha- i mean yeah, that didn't really start happening till you know, like, the beginning of this year, really. Yeah. So that's that. That was the Oscars, you know, whatever. Um, oh. Uh, you know, if you if you didn't get a chance, I, I know that uh, 
some of my favorites did win some stuff like uh promising young woman won best adapted screenplay or best screen original screenplay and uh daniel kalua won best supporting actor yeah for, he did for his role in uh, judas and the black messiah which was my which i probably would have called my favorite movie from this crop of films yeah, um, I I agree, and I I mean honestly, I still think either him or Lakeith Stanfield should have won for best actor. Not they should have been nominated. Yeah, I, I agree. But, I agree. But uh, we're going to be talking about something else today. We're talking about the the world of video game movies, movies based on video. Pretty games. Far Cry from the Oscars. Yeah, there. I think there has been a Far Cry movie. Um, <laughs> but we'll we'll get into it. Uh, I pulled up a list here on Collider, every video game movie ranked worst to best. We're not going to talk about all of them because there's been a few, but I did want to touch on some. Um, they're top 10 and we'll, uh, I have not seen a lot of these because famously they're not good. Yeah. Usually, um, usually, usually not. We've talked a lot on this podcast about how there's sort of a curse on the world of video game movies some are better than others they just haven't they haven't cracked the there hasn't been an mcu that cracks the the code open yet there hasn't been a brian singer's x-men that's cracked the code yet i mean yeah you know there's never even there hasn't been like a sam raimi spider-man for this genre yet We've had some that have kind of been anomalies to the. Yeah, I feel like we're denigrating. Uh, you're denigrating X Men and Spider Man. No, right no, now. no. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like you know that was the that was that time in the early 2000s. People yeah, it's, think it's under- mostly been a crop of of uh, steel movies yeah. that are of that quality. Right. Yeah, steel and and Blank Man and right. Like, well, don't just pick the black superheroes. <laughs> I did not mean to. (laughs) (laughs) Or the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie, which I think is still low-key underrated. But yes, here is what Collider is calling their top 10 um, video games ever. And let's see if either of us have seen these or if we have opinions on them. Um, Laura Croft at number 10. Laura Croft Tomb Raider Cradle of Life. Did you see this? I saw the first one. I don't. I don't remember which one's which. I think I well, only the saw the first one's just Laura Croft Tomb Raider. I think I I might have seen it. I don't remember. I genuinely do not know. I know I saw at least one, if not two, of the Angelina Jolie ones. Yeah, How many yeah. was she in? Two. I might have I might have seen it. Anyway, that's how great it is. I don't even remember. <laughs> you, I, I believe was it in the first one or the second one that John Voigt plays her father like at the end he like reveals himself and i think that's the first one yeah i think you're right i don't think i know anything about the second one which maybe it's better than the first one i don't know but kind of a funny story when i was in film school and we were talking about something we were talking about video game movies or i forget what the subject was in class we had this one girl in our group who was from france and so her perspective on everything is just a little bit different because of that. And she talked about how, like, the, the Laura Croft Tomb Raider movies were, like, this huge deal to her and her friends in France at the time because it was, like, a strong female action character and, you know, nobody had really, you know, seen anything like that. Sure. It had nothing to compare it to. And she was just like, 
gushing about the Tomb Raider movies. Um, and it well, was, she's from France. Didn't she have like all these Luc Besson movies? Like, sure, Lord yeah, and and stuff? <laughs> which which they probably borrowed from uh, liberally, but but yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Okay, number nine. Oh, okay. So they say Laura Croft Tomb Raider is better of the two. Okay, so so number nine, number ten is Cradle is of Life. Number nine is neck to just, neck. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about that. Basically, did you catch the Doom movie, which comes in at number eight on their list? Uh, Doom as a D O O M with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yes, I did not. I didn't see it. So my friend at the time, Christopher, who I used to do movie reviews with way back in the day, um, he was all about this movie. Very excited about it. I've heard. I've heard. Like I've heard it's dumb but fun. Yeah, that I think that was kind of the thing. And I know that they, as sort of a gimmick, there was like scenes shot in the first person to look like, you know, the corridor sequences from the video game yeah, when you're... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't have to run out and see it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I heard mixed uh, mixed things about it. Um, the Warcraft movie by Duncan Jones... Oh, damn, that cracked the... I thought people hated that Number seven, yeah. Well, that doesn't mean that just because it's, like, largely regarded as terrible, in this in the curve of video game movies, it might actually be one of the better ones. I mean, I was always kind of curious about it because I feel like, you know, I have mixed feelings in general about Duncan Jones, but I, I, I don't know. It just, it looked like the whole thing just... Do a cartoon, you know, just do it as a CGI movie. They mostly did. Yeah, but it like instead of doing it in like the style, the style of the game, it was just like this weird uncanny valley thing. I mean, they're big buff orcs and stuff like I don't know. I didn't see it, but a friend of the show, Richard, did. And he was mostly okay with it. I don't think he loved it, but he definitely didn't hate it. Um, I was vaguely curious because of the duncan jones factor i really like his first couple movies um moon and source code and i he was someone to be very excited about at the time Mm -hmm. um and then he put this out and it kind of went nowhere and then he did that thing for netflix that we watched um the sci-fi film um Mm -hmm. that was mute yeah which was not great um and so i'm hoping he still can recover yeah, I these, just, but... um, I actually just got a, a comic book by him that is, um, he, he did a Kickstarter and, and put out a comic book that he's, okay. he's called Maddie, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in the Future. Okay, this is kind of interesting. For number six, they put the Resident Evil series, I guess, like, all of them. That's a cheat, I but... Yes, but, I mean, here's the thing, those movies... After, like, the first 20 minutes of the first one, they have pretty much nothing to do with the games. No, no. So, really. I I mean, I guess, but it's kind of like the um, that Final Fantasy movie, uh, mm-hmm. Spirit Within or whatever. It had nothing to do, it was just like, it was just a movie that they called Final Fantasy. That's what Resident Evil is, and it's like... Well, They're Resident right. Evil at least tries to incorporate some of the characters, like and- some of the names. But by the by the time we get to like the second one, it is like in crazy cuckoo bananas monster world, right? 
And then the third one is like a Mad Max style, like desert punk thing. And is that the third one? It yeah, got that crazy. That how many are there? I think there's like six or seven now. There's a few, I'm and I've sure. seen about half of them, which is too many. Yeah, I am. I have not. I remember seen. mildly liking the first one when it came out because I was thirteen yeah, or was- something, and it was. You know, we weren't totally sick of the concept of zombies by that point. It was fine. It was like a survival horror, you know, CGI-laden deal. But um, I remember by the time the second one came out and I was watching that, I was like, this isn't very good. Yeah. (laughs) And that's kind of been my my, uh, standing position since. Uh, Number five, Rampage. Oh, I didn't. Also with The Rock. Yeah. Yeah, that that one surprises me that you didn't see it because, you know, it's kind of kaiju adjacent. I was curious about it, but I just, I, I never, I don't know. It came out at a weird time or something. I, yeah. It just like ended up not happening, and I don't know. I might catch it on like HBO or something someday if it's yeah. There. That's like the type of thing that could be a streaming homework or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm sure it's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, I I think Collider just has a thing for Tomb Raider because they have the uh, Alicia Vikander version at number four, which I definitely didn't see. Yeah, I heard. I haven't seen like any of these. We're not talking about the 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 really good ones that are like I know batshit insane, like the Mario Brothers movie, which has again like Resident Evil, barely anything to do with Mario Brothers. But it's a fun movie and it is crazy as hell. Like there used to be a much lower standard. For, like, accuracy. Double <laughs> Dragon with the weird, like, mutants. Right, yeah. We'll, we'll get into some of that. Number three, they have De- Detective Pikachu, which I actually thought would have been their number one. Because of all of the... I never played the game, but of all of the video game movies that are based on an actual video game, like there was a video game first and then a movie, I thought that Detective Pikachu was the most an attempt to really compete in the world of pop culture. I I agree. I actually, uh, this would probably be my number one just because it felt the most, it felt the most like we were actually getting the world of the game mm-hmm. and also getting an attempt at making a movie that, that's not just weird fan service with a tacked on plot around it. Right. Like it has its own appeal. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there was some star power behind it, and I wouldn't say that it was, like, especially exciting. I wasn't bowled over by it, but I was like, okay, that was a real movie. Yeah. And it it, it has something about it that's enjoyable outside of the fandom of just Pokemon. Yeah, exactly. Oh, their number two is the Silent Hill movie. Oh, God. I don't care about that i i I mean i i saw it like i might i saw it a couple times but it it very similar to resident evil to me where it's like yeah they've got some video game they've got enough video gamey vibes to call it that but it like it wasn't scary enough to be like a horror real horror movie and it was like trying to do kind of the horror action thing which just never is great yeah, at least in America. I think other countries have kind of figured that out better. But yeah, um, 
But yeah, usually if you're not George A. Romero, just don't. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I did not see the Silent Hill movie, but I knew people who were very big fans of both the video game and the movie. And I think your enjoyment of it is highly dependent on how much you care about the game, which I mean, is probably yeah. all of these. But I think maybe even especially that one, because I know people who would normally not like a movie like that, but mm-hmm. they were had been playing the games forever. So they were like, yes, this is my jam. I guess. I mean, it, you know, it had the weird Ash cleavage, and- cleavage nurses with fucked up faces. It has a weird, you know, pyramid head. Like, yeah, I, I kind of get it. I don't know. I was never that into Silent Hill games, so I I think maybe that one just kind of missed me. It's kind of like budget Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and of course, the Silent Hill video games were largely inspired by Adrian Lyne's Jacob's Ladder, which is mm-hmm. a actually good film. Yeah. Um, and uh, once I'd seen that, I was like, I'm good. I don't think I need to see like the movie based on the video game based on the better movie. Yeah, exactly. And their number one is the original Mortal Kombat uh, from 1995, which a lot of people uh, still have fond feelings for. I don't I, think it ages particularly great. Um, yeah, I do think I, there are positives, but... I have kind of um, probably... It's probably nostalgia blinders, but yeah. in my head, that was always, like, the best video game movie because it was, like... It always felt like they... You know, they took the story from the game and made it into a movie, and most of the characters feel pretty right. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think it's probably aged super well. The, I mean, and we'll get into this a little bit when the review, but the watching the new one did definitely make me want to like revisit the old one just sure. to see. Yeah, and it, I mean, that's a movie I'd seen so many times as a kid. I pretty much have it memorized. Like I don't. I want. I saw it a lot as a kid too. But now I'm. Like, I wonder if I remember it as well as I think I do. I did. You know. I did YouTube the fight sequences from the. Yeah, there's some from the first one. Sketchy <laughs> CGI too. Like. Oh yeah, it was. Ooh. It was right at that time where it was. I guess the best they had at the time, but certainly isn't now. Um, I mean, and then I will say like the insane quality drop off from. The first Mortal Kombat to Mortal Kombat Annihilation is like one of the steepest declines, I think, in like sequel history. Yeah. Yeah, which they have, I think, Mortal Kombat Annihilation down at the bottom of their list around, um, where do they have it? Uh, number 24. When the, the only thing behind that at number 25 is every Yule Bowl movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, he made a lot of, uh, yeah, video like game the House of the Deads and yeah. Uh, yeah, and Blood Rain and um Oh, one of the best things ever, if you get a chance, YouTube Guinevere Turner talking about writing the screenplay for Blood Rain. Um Guinevere Turner, she 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 also adapted um American Psycho and she was, you know, early independent filmmaker. Um, especially in like the LGBT film world um, and uh, respected in a lot of circles. But she took a check, did the Blood Rain movie, and, uh, you know, they kind of just 
she did it on spec or whatever and just turned it in. And I guess like Yulebull was kind of psychopathic, like screaming at her over the phone. So she phoned it in anyway. <laughs> and then, then they took her script and did whatever the fuck they wanted to it. Like they didn't even really do her script. And she spent like the first like five or 10 minutes of the movie, like furious and then she like let go and just spent the rest of the movie ma- at the premiere making fun of it and laughing hysterically at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, good for her. Like, just right. whatever. I, and, you know, I think Yule Ball is probably a huge part of the reason why video game movies have a bad rap. Yeah. Well, just why they're at where they are. Like, you know, if if we had had a Sam Raimi, you know, take a crack at one in the in the proto years, then maybe they'd be a little further along by now. You know, yeah. I, I think we're just kind of getting to that point where it's like... We're on the tipping point. Yeah, and, you know, the, like, the potential is definitely there. It's just, you, you gotta find that right mix of, like... It hasn't playing. quite hit. Yeah. But I think we're close. I think yeah. we're close. We're not at that zeitgeist moment where it's the right movie with the right director, the right cast, at the right time. Right game. Yeah, exactly. So let's get into it. Let's. We might as well just start talking about uh, the new Mortal Kombat film. I am still... Mortal Kombat! <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one of the major complaints that I've heard online is the lack of mid-90s house music. But yeah, <laughs> let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about the new Mortal Kombat. Go Whoopee. ahead and, and uh, describe what's going on in this movie. So there's this MMA fighter uh, by the name of Cole Young who has this... Yeah, you're, you're making a face. We're, <laughs> we're going to get into it. There's this guy, this fight guy, and he has this dragon tattoo. The guy with the dragon tattoo. Uh-huh. Um, and these dragon marks signify uh, the fighters from Earthrealm. Uh, who are going to have to compete in the the next Mortal Kombat. Uh, Mortal Kombat is when all the realms come together and have to fight a tournament for the fate of the realms. Uh, what What is it called? Outworld? Outworld. Yes. Outworld. Uh, they have won the last nine Mortal Kombats, and after they win a tenth Mortal Kombat, they, can, they have free reign to take over our realm. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on this particular Mortal Kombat that uh, it's not in this movie because uh, Shang Tsung, there's this prophecy that Earth will win the, the their 10th Mortal Kombat and kind of set everything back on track. So Shang Tsung, uh, the, the leader of Outworld, decides he's not going to take any chances and he starts sending assassins to Earth uh, to to kill Earth's champions before the tournament can even begin. He's going to rig it. Yeah. He's going to rig it before so, it even starts. So uh, Cole Young gets sucked into this world and meets uh, all of Earth's champions like Jax and Sonya Blade and Kano and Liu Kang. And there's a lot of people in this. Uh, <laughs> yes. And there is also kind of a backstory that we're introduced to in a prologue between Sub-Zero and Scorpion in, you know, 
hundreds of years ago fighting each other. And we find out that Cole Young is sort of involved in, in this ancient rivalry and this prophecy and, you know, kind of a Campbellian chosen one myth uh, that they weave in into this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, pretty standard, like main character story arc. Yeah. Kind of guy. Yeah. So let's talk about the movie itself. Let's. I want to know a couple things first. Okay. Did you see this in the theater or did you watch on HBO Go? I saw this in the theater. I watched it on HBO Go. Um, and did you... Was it 3D? No, it wasn't. Okay. Oh, we um, saw it in just regular theater. Okay. Was it well attended? Was there a lot of people? I mean, as much as they left? Uh, I, I mean... Yeah, they're still socially distancing seats, so they're not selling everything out. And we went to, like, an early showing on a Friday, so there'd be even less people. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was enough people to, you know, and maybe this is just because people have not been to movies in a year, to have a a good vibe. To just have, like, okay, this is silly. An audience. Fun. Yeah. There for it. Yeah. Um, okay, second question. Have you really kept up with the video games and the mythology as it has, you know, been extended since, you know, we've gone into several consoles? As far as the mythology goes, not really. I mean, they're, I, I, the last, I do have Mortal Kombat 10. Which one um, was that? So Mortal Kombat 11 just came out. Okay, so that's pretty recent. Yeah, so it's pretty recent. Um, so I catch I catch Mortal Kombat games like I catch the Fast and Furious movies, like yeah. every, you know, third or fourth one. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, I've never cared that much about the story. Like, e- even in story mode, like, that's not why I'm getting this game. I'm getting it to be Scorpion punching Sub-Zero in the face. Right, and to do the fatalities and the ultraviolence and, you know, yeah. the crazy combos. And, and I'm not... Uh, as far as fighting games go, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty casual gamer anyway, but like, I'm going to set it on the modes where it's like the fatalities are really easy to do because that's what I want. I'm not going to, I'm never going to learn the combos. <laughs> never going to learn them. So they're I probably just, I want... easier than they used to be. Cause now there's more buttons, you know, you can do more at once, but it, like back in the day, like <sighs> there's, they were like, crazy... like 14 character combos. Nah, man. You had all to they you did, had to be able to click all of them in like a matter of three seconds, or it didn't work. I will say I have pretty casually kind of kept up with the okay. lore a little bit. So the only reason I ask this is I was not certain if this Cole Young character was a new character that's been introduced in the games, okay, and I just wasn't we're keeping up, or. If he's maybe just mentioned in story mode and passing and they decide to go into that more or what. But Okay, so th- now we're getting to it because I, I mean that's the worst part of this movie. Yes. I think. Is is they No, so Cole Young, uh, as far as I know, they created for the movie. Yes. Uh which there are so many goddamn characters. There's been 11 games plus weird crossovers like, you know, DC versus Mortal Kombat and shit like that. There are so many Mortal Kombat games. There's probably 150 fucking characters. Yeah. And so they 
come up with this guy who is bland as dirt and whose power is literal plot armor. Yeah, so he has a magic shirt. That's his power. Yeah, no, I wasn't into him. And he is kind of a big part of the movie. Oh, he's Uh, he's the through line of the entire film. Which is frustrating. Like, just make it Liu Kang or Kung Lao. Make it fucking Kung Lao. He was so cool. He was cool. I re- yes. Uh, I so okay. I'm approaching this review from a couple perspectives. Okay. Um. I in general, I really dug the vibe of this movie. Um. I think the costumes designs I thought were all really cool. Um. Just in general, like they they made it feel. Like a Mortal Kombat video game. Yeah. Um, I think even more so than, in than well, not more so than the first one. The first one does. It just feels like the first Mortal Kombat. Yeah. And it's re- really dated. Right. In this one, the armor and the and the costumes are more ornate and they're more like the period weapons. accurate and stuff like that. Um, and a, a lot of the fights in the, like if you play story mode in some of the later games, like not all the fights are strictly in the tournament anymore. Like they, they have like these weird stories going on. So I know it bought, I know it bothered people that we don't actually get to the Mortal Kombat tournament, like the, you know, the official tournament in this movie, but it didn't bother me. Cause we still had like characters fighting one-on-one, you know, it, it would have yeah. bothered me if there was this crazy war scene or whatever, but it's still mostly, martial arts individual combat yeah and i think i thought that the uh for the most part that the fight choreography is pretty good um it's shot pretty well i have a a good sense of what's going on towards the end they start to cross cut between fights maybe more than i would prefer that i would have liked them to kind of space out the fights or at least sit on one for a little bit longer instead of like creating these weird editing beats I agree, and it also feels like a little bit at the end, it feels like they're kind of rushing to the finish line, which yeah. I, I didn't think they necessarily needed to do because they could have cut out Cole Young's story entirely and <laughs> had a little bit more time for, for the fights at the end. Well, that's that's kind of what I want to get into. Um, you know, it's not just that he's a bland character. It's not just that he's like an obvious writing device and a very unnecessary one at that. But it also, the movie is, like, way too front-loaded with his backstory and getting the team together and figuring out, like, you know, what the chess pieces are, how we're going to, you know, do this or whatever. They should have truncated what was the first third of the movie into five to ten minutes. And get us to to, uh, Kung Lao's temple... Um, and Raiden, Raiden's, Raiden's temple, temple and uh, get more into because that's the fun part is when all when the team's together, they're learning their abilities yeah. and they're, you know, they're training and it, it becomes kind of more like a martial arts movie. Like that's that's the beef. And, you know, that's what I wanted, um, even if they're not going to do the tournament. I think if you wanted to do because obviously they're setting this up for sequels, that's why they did it the way they did. But yeah, and, and I will say, uh, they are setting it up for sequels, but I, again, I didn't necessarily feel shortchanged by this. I, I can see... I did a little. I did a little. And not because the idea that they had was a bad one. I think the idea of training for the tournament is great, and getting to these characters to learn their powers and abilities. Sure, yeah. 
kind of, again, Campbellian. It's like Star Wars, basically. Um, but they're, they're setting it all up. But the, that, that middle uh, patch of the movie, that arc, is so short. And all of a sudden, characters are making big decisions really fast and learn, yeah. going from losing every battle to becoming super powerful in the next scene. And we could have just lost so much of that stuff in the beginning of Cole being called upon and what's the tattoo about and da-da-da-da-da. And yeah, like we're all we're all here for Mortal Kombat. Yeah. We all get it. Who's going into a Mortal Kombat movie totally cold with no cultural reference of like, yeah, it's a it's a fighting game. It's a tournament. Ninja. Well, I feel tournament. like they felt. I feel like they felt like. I feel like that the writers needed to justify this new character to a the fans and b yes. um people who they were worried wouldn't understand the world of Mortal Kombat. I don't who think might have not been there um, because they were fans of the game. So I think I, I, here's a, I they think do all this legwork um, at the, in the first third of the movie, which is just over long and isn't really doing much. And mm-hmm. I think that hurts the overall structure of the film. Cause in the, the best part of the movie, which should have been the whole movie or at least the majority of it is ends up being the shortest part. And then the last third is just fight, 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 which is fine. But even yeah. that kind of feels, like you said, rushed. So I, th- I think this movie has serious structural problems. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, I agree with you. I, I, I definitely agree with you. And I, in this new character isn't cool enough or interesting enough to really make it worth it. And like the way he was like, tied to scorpion i thought he was gonna like become become the the next scorpion yeah but i actually am glad they didn't do that because the scorpion they have is so much cooler Uh, right but i but then it just makes the character seem all the more superfluous exactly i actually think uh, based upon the way they were already writing it and maybe this was like an earlier draft and like stuff got left in and blah 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 um I feel like Sonya Blade would have been a better Cypher character. Totally. Because she has this whole complex about not having that tattoo. Exactly. And, and wanting and I to think be included. Had, and I think she had the more interesting arc of like, she's hanging out trying to fight these demigods, basically. But she's the yeah. only one that is like truly human. And she's been I, researching it and studying it for years. She, you know, she has Kano as a prisoner to be able to get to the temple. And, and I think all, all of the that story stuff is happening worked. with her. And all that stuff worked. You know, her yeah. knowing Jax was really cool. Like the way they set that up was really cool. That first fight with Jax and Sub-Zero's really fucks. Like that's <laughs> really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. That's what I mean. Like everything around Cole Young, I think works. It's just, he, he slogs the movie down and and he's not cool enough or interesting enough to make it worth it. And it's like, sure, whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I, I literally liked everything in the movie pretty much except him. And, you know, his fights are fine. It's not that he's like, his action scenes are good enough. But like, you know, they make Kano a really fun, interesting character in this. They make Sonya Blade, uh, like you said, I, I agree. She should have been the main character. She has uh, the most to 
she has the most story lose. arc. Yeah, and she's the most motivated character in the whole movie. And it makes sense they don't want to do the exact same thing that they did last time with Liu Kang. So mm-hmm. if they're going to do that switch, and like I said, it almost feels like it was written that way, and then they were just like, now nah, we have to do something else for no reason whatsoever. Um, and then they just shove this other character in. But well, also, I, I mean, I, I know... I know they're teasing him for the sequel, and mm-hmm. I know that he, you know, he didn't have to be the main character. But it's like, let's have Sonya be the the main character. Let's her have her be the cipher. And where the fuck is Johnny Cage? Like, I think more people are. Ups- I think people are more upset about that because of how much they like that character from the first film. I- well, and he's an established character. He, right. You know what I mean? Like, not just like fucking making shit up for for whatever reason. And right, there's a and I I get that uh, you know. And I read the director, uh, or the I don't know if it's the director or the screenwriter. I think it was the director's comments where he's like he didn't want Johnny Cage to be the main character because you know he didn't want it to be a white dude, which I get. Like you know, even though Mortal Kombat is. I mean, it is definitely, like, uh, uh, appropriating Asian culture, but to the point where it's, like, <laughs> it it makes sense to not have a, a white dude as the main character, yeah. but why why couldn't Sonya? It's like getting the into Raya and the Last Dragon controversy territory. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, yes. I, I, I I, I, I'm not, I wasn't upset that the fact that they left Johnny Cage out in this movie, especially knowing he's going to come later. And no, it, it was just like, why are we leaving this huge character out and and adding in this? Exactly. Spending thing. all this time. On you could this say other- that about 100. Like we said, there's a million characters in this thing. That role could have been filled by just about anyone. So, you know, duly noted, we are not fans of Cole Young and everything he does to the movie. I also think the dialogue's pretty atrocious most of the time. And I, I, I really liked Kano. I thought he, he was well. Great. That actor's having fun with it. He kind of knows the, how campy it all is, and he's playing up to it. Some of the actors are not as good um, at doing that, and that's fine. They're there to fight. They're not there well, to well, act. I, I think, like you said, it really hits when it's when they get to this temple, and it's like okay. I feel like every all of the actors kind of like take a breath at that point and they're like, okay, we can be a little silly now. We don't have to we don't have to be grounded anymore because we're not in the real world anymore. We're we're right. in this crazy kung fu temple, we're learning magical powers, like And those are scenes. I mean they're you know, they're playing on tropes, but those are scenes where characters are talking to other characters. And this is why, you know, even in action films you need scenes, not just yeah. set pieces. Because this is what gets you involved with the characters, and this is what connects the actor to their role. Um, and that's, you can do both. You can have great fight sequences and sparring going on and learning powers and, you know, use the force and all of that stuff. But uh, when that's being, you know, cut and crammed into this tiny middle act, also while dealing with Shang Tsung. And I think this is another structural problem with the movie is Shang Tsung does not feel like a threat in this film. Um, and the, well, and the whole, I mean, like, I'm putting up a magic wall to protect us while, so that Shang Tsung doesn't, you know, bother us while we're training. 
it all of that stuff felt very writer's room, felt very cobbled together. And yeah. I there wasn't much of a And and this this is where I, I am comparing and contrasting to the original, original because yeah. because I mean uh the the actor who plays Shang Sun in the original, um Kerihiro Yuki Tagawa fucking he Iconic. didn't have to go he didn't <laughs> yeah. have to go that hard, but he does. Like yeah. I mean and and you know, there's the whole thing with Liu Kang and his his brother and you know Yo yeah. so he's mine. It's like he's yeah. just so he's over big. the top. Yeah. He's so big, yeah, that it's like you cannot help but love it. Yeah. He's Same like, with Raul Julia in the uh, Street Fighter film. Yes. Yeah. They're just and, eating and, it up. And what's funny is like that actor has like a totally American accent. He's that's all, you know, performance. Um, oh, sure. I mean, but it's it's such a fun, big, broad character. It's a, yeah. it's the mustache twirling melodrama villain that that you want for something like this, wherein I feel like, yeah, they. I mean, here's the thing. In this movie, Sub Zero is the real villain. He's he's. Well, they're and, definitely and, leaning on that. They're leaning, and on that's that where all, again most of the dramatic tension is, you know, between him and and Scorpion. And if I think, you know, they could have even with Cole Young's story, because throughout he's like sort of getting these visions of Scorpion and Hell, um, and that's why I, you think that he's going to become Scorpion. And I feel like. They could have done something with that. He learns this secret, so let's have him maybe interact with Scorpion. So, because the beginning of the movie is Scorpion versus Sub Zero, and sets up this like blood feud, vendetta, you know, throughout time and space, and and Hell can't even like, uh, you know, confine their their grudge. It's like that's fucking cool. You know, you know, like they they could have played with that more because that felt like what the dramatic build was supposed to be was like. That's why I feel like this movie st- structurally is kind of disastrous. Honestly, I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's fine I, if you're just looking for a dumb popcorn movie to with some cool fight scenes and you know some good fight choreography and watching your favorite characters do their fatalities and that kind of stuff. If you're just there for the fan service. It is serviceable. But if you actually wanted this to like, like we were saying, to crack that code, if you if you yeah. wanted to exceed what we can expect from a video game movie, this one is not exceptional in that way. And in no. fact, I do think structurally, um, you yes. know, bad special effects and everything, structurally, the first one is more sound. Yeah, stru- I, I agree. I think the first one works at least as a screenplay more because it's like we have main characters and, and they're properly motivated and it takes us through the beats of the story. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think, you know, I, I think what this one has is, is yeah, it's, it's, it's dumb fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a good time with it. I, I mean, I don't want to sound like I hated this movie because I had a blast watching it. I was like, Mm -hmm. Uh, the the fighting is is cool enough, and the the characters look cool enough that it's like, and that's kind of all I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, it does bum me out because I do think it has the potential to be better than it was. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Like this, there's not really a a, a sound story through line, right? And it feels to me like there was 
maybe too many passes at the script and you had competing ideas going on throughout the whole thing. And I kind of wonder if they were trying to put a little too much uh, Mortal Kombat stuff that's not just the tournament in here. Right. Um, they wanted they wanted to pay lip service to the to the feud between Scorpion and Sub-Zero for the fans. And they also wanted to put in little, like, uh, winks and nods to the fans of the original film. That's definitely in there, too. Um, and it's just kind of a hodgepodge of all of the above. But I think... If yes, if you if you have the lowest of expectations for it, and it's you're just looking to see your favorite characters do those combos and do all the crazy stuff, it's fine. Um, I can't call it a good movie, but it is fairly entertaining. Um, I give it a C plus. I give it a I give it a B minus, but big and schlocky and fun. Um, but. Yeah, it's it's dumb fun. I see. I I I don't. The reason I can't give it more than a C is because I don't think even its schlock factor is going to be as charming years down the line. I think I don't care about years down the line. I'm talking about when I watched it in theater. I had a good ass time, and sure. so that's that's why I'm giving it what it is. I'm like, it was exactly what I wanted it to be. It didn't exceed those expectations, but it met what I was expecting. And so I was like, sure, this is, I give it a B minus. Fuck you. You can't influence my grade. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think it's not going to age great. Um, and it's, I think there's room for improvement. And I think they, they, they don't even have to scrap this and start over again. They could if they wanted to. But I think if... Uh, they want to follow this story up with the sequel. There's definitely room to stay within what they've established and do better. Uh, yeah. And I think that the a next movie could, could fix a lot of these problems, streamline this, get a better screenwriter, get a screenwriter, kick out nine of the 12 people in that room. And yeah. Yeah. If you look at it, it was written by, uh, it was written by Greg Russo, Dave Callahan and others. Right. And yeah. whoever was on set that day and said, hey, doesn't this happen in the game? Let's fit that in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say another thing, because we talked a lot about the structure of this movie. Um, uh, we, I, I do think one thing this movie does have on and I I very rarely feel that IP needs to be R rated, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like a Mortal Kombat movie needs to be r-rated i really liked all the the ridiculous gore and how much like they reveled in it like they fucking blow jack's arms off in the first 15 minutes they go for it they go for it yeah and and so i appreciated that and um yeah they have fatalities like fucking kung lao's crazy hat cuts somebody in half and and uh really cool and 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 that sort of thing and also um and maybe this is more of a structural thing too, but uh, I don't know. This might be spoilery, but I do think uh, a few more of the good guys should have died. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like, and and maybe that could have leveled the playing field a little bit more for the next movie. But I just think for a movie that is based on a video game, was known for characters dying all the time and coming back in crazy ways. Like I think it could have been a little more vicious 
Right. Well, that's why I meant like the, I think in general, the stakes never feel that high in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, exactly. And the fights just break out kind of seemingly out of nowhere. And they are connective tissues to the next part of the movie. But uh, like I said, I think if they continue with this world and we do get to see the tournament and we are introduced to more characters and it's kind of, you know, structured more naturally um, and they either kill Cole in the first scene or shove him in the background of the plot, then we will, there's room for improvement, e- even in what they established. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Anni- Mortal Kombat Annihilation killed Johnny Cage off in the first 15 minutes, and <laughs> I was not having it. First five minutes. Right, yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> maybe they'll they'll redeem themselves. Maybe they'll go full Annihilation for the sequel. I mean, that was a lot. Uh, okay, let's go ahead and talk about our streaming homework now, which is um, Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny, which you assigned. No, I assigned uh, based Te- upon. Technically, you assigned it to me uh, because there were some conversations on Twitter. Um, Jack Black's been really hot right now. He has. Still seeing Jack Black in my feed every now and then for this or that. Um, yeah, and, and this is back from 2006. So yes, this was, this was like peak Jables. Yeah, and kind of a, a blind spot of both of ours, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Tenacious D was a music comedy project by Jack Black and Kyle Gass. And they were, you know, kind of two... Struggling actors, comedians, whatever, um, living in Hollywood who kind of ran into each other while they were coming up. Um, bit of an age difference. They're about 10 years apart. But uh, <laughs> Kyle Gass teaches Jack Black how to play guitar. And they start playing clubs. I'm telling the actual story, not the uh, <laughs> movie story. Um, but they start playing clubs. And as Jack Black starts to become more well-known as an actor. Uh, Their star power as a musical comedy duo also rises. They had a show on HBO for a little bit that was produced by um, David Cross. And they released a few albums, comedy albums that did pretty well. One right before this movie came out and as well as the soundtrack for the film. Um, And, you know, Tenacious D as a music comedy entity has been... Fairly successful on its own, even outside of the you know the name brand Jack Black mm. movie star thing, and uh, this movie was kind of tapping into that. Like it was, it was at the peak of when people were sort of interested in that project. Um, peak of the D. <laughs> so this film kind of mythologizes that story I just told, where instead of you know, them running into each other in Hollywood and comedy circles. Uh, Jack Black, young Jack Black wants to be a rock star. He is driven by the power of rock and moves from the Midwest uh, from his disapproving father, played by Meatloaf. Um, <laughs> to, no, So, okay, there's this weird thing in the beginning where this whole musical sequence of him telling his backstory and we see little Jack Black or the kid playing young Jack Black singing... Um, and of course it's Jack Black's voice, um, singing through him, but, and then it cuts to meatloaf singing parts of the song. And then it, Ronnie James Dio starts singing part of the song through a poster on his wall. And 
I, it only occurred to me at that point that all of those people have very similar singing voices, like almost the same kind of like theatrical operatic um, I mean, range sure. to yeah, the point where like, I wasn't sure if Jack Black was singing all of them and he just got the actors to do that. But then oh, I saw no. interviews later where he was like, no, no, no we got Dio and, and which uh, holy Milo. shit. Ronnie James Dio looked old as fuck back in 2006. Yeah, uh, I think he died um, a handful of years later, maybe around 2010 or 11 oh, or so. But, yeah, he died in, in 2010. I, yeah. Holy shit, he was only 67. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, rock and roll. It'll it'll take it'll its toll you. on you. It'll age you, and he's very short. Um. So, anyways, he. So the story uh, goes that he, you know, comes to. Comes to California looking to be a star, and he runs into uh, Kyle Gass, who's playing in Venice Beach by himself, um, you know, making money with with a you know hat on the on the ground, and uh, he attaches himself to Kyle, and Kyle convinces him that he's actually very famous, and that um, he's going to teach Jack Black through the goodness of his heart the the power of rock. Um, and as the story goes, uh, Jack Black realizes he's actually just this uh, beach bum loser who's going nowhere. But they hope that if they find the pick of destiny, a magic pick that all of the major rockers of the world have used, that it'll give them the, the, the power of rock and roll to become the stars that they've always wanted to be. But specifically, they need the pick of destiny to go and win an open mic night just yeah. so they can get a little bit of money for rent. Yeah, at a club where uh, Paul F. Tompkins is playing the the club owner, the the super bored open mic night host. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, this is one of those kind of everyone everyone kind of pops up in this movie. There's a ton yeah. of cameos from Ben Stiller, yeah, the Fred comedy Armisen, world, yeah, Amy Poehler, yeah, a lot of uh, uh, blink and you'll miss it. Cameos mm. uh, uh, like Colin Hanks is one of the frat boys. <laughs> oh, I, I did miss that. Yeah, and uh, Tim Robbins shows oh, yeah. up in this. Yeah, um, uh, in what feels like would have been a role for John Hamm if it, the movie had come out ten years later. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I love Tim Robbins because he's he's never. You know, he's like this big actor. He's been in all these prestigious things or whatever. Shawshank Redemption, what have you. But he is so game to just totally be a goof when, yeah. when they call to ask him. And he, and he puts everything into it. Totally. He commits did you, completely. Did you, catch, uh, did you catch the Amy Adams cameo? I don't she, think so, no. You, this would have like been when a, she was very young. Yeah, uh, it was. I think it was like right before right after enchanted um so yeah she was like she's like one of the uh when jack black singing the song that's like blowing people's minds and like yeah. making people orgasm and stuff she's like a woman in the crowd oh okay well i'd have to go back and look but yes there's a lot of people in this movie um and it's kind of a stoner thing um which is sort of funny because i feel like it's a genre that's kind of went away in yeah. a big way. Like I think the Apatow world still sort of teases it, but even they've sort of outgrown that and they're, they're kind of trying well, to and explore it in uh, different ways. 
except for a couple of, except for like specifically Pineapple Express, uh, and maybe a couple other ones, like they, they don't necessarily follow the stoner movie formula, right? Like they, they'll have a lot of characters with stoners and they'll have a lot of stoner humor, but like stoner movie is a genre of itself. And it's, it's usually like two slacker dudes yeah who get high as fuck and end up on an adventure that is like bigger than them and and you know it's like cheech and chong uh harold and kumar uh uh, this very much fits that formula uh pineapple express but like largely i think apatow like that crowd is you know they do stoner humor but it's it's different they kind of do their their own formula with it right well with with his stuff in particular, it's it's more about like being in arrested development and finding the next stage of life, which usually comes from stoners into becoming something something better, something else by the yeah, end of yeah. the film. And this this is very much in that episodic, um, you know, comedy set. Yeah, they're piece stoners after comedy at the beginning. Yeah, they're stoner slackers at the beginning. They're going to be stoner slackers at the end. Right, and it's through their experience as a stoner that allows them to achieve their goals not to yeah it's it's not a morality yeah um but it's just kind of funny it felt it felt of a different time while watching it because i was like oh yeah i just like i haven't seen a movie just be like as openly a stoner film like this in a long time yeah uh all i mean it also just i don't i i mean okay we're talking around this a lot but this movie fucking rocks. Here's the thing. I always talk about, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure on the podcast I've mentioned before how, like, I like, I I wish musicals, uh, people did more with musicals and let, instead of just having them be musicals, like what we think of in our head, um, you know, it's like these big, broad, have to appeal to everyone things like this is very this is a stoner comedy that is also a musical Mm -hmm. uh, because the two main characters are musicians um and so all the songs are like you know feel like they fit this world but it's very different than like you know i don't know you know what i mean like if i say the word musical something will pop up in your head and it is not this but in some ways, it is traditional because the songs are pushing the story. They're non. Some, no, that, that, sometimes they're that, diegetic, but sometimes they're not. And uh, they. But that's what I'm saying. Like musicals, you can be a musical and and be more than than just what musicals usually are. Like this is a stoner comedy that happens to be a musical. Yeah, I, mean, I would love it, it to subverts, see like it subverts it a little bit in that it's. You know, raunchy and R-rated, and it's a it's about you know characters who you would normally not see in this type of genre. It's, yeah, and it includes different kinds of music, um, heavy metal and and folk music and stuff that's not usually in this kind of uh, in a musical genre. So it, I get what you're saying. I I think that uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone laid a lot of the groundwork for for this type of thing. I I agree, and and I think. I think there's a lot of potential for that. I, I just, yeah. I, I would like to see more musicals that try to play with different genre conventions, right? So this is a musical stoner comedy. Uh, uh, yeah, I agree. Trey, uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, they did 
they've done a lot of musical stuff as well. They did Cannibal the musical. Right. I think I think you could do a musical horror movie. There's been um, a few. Yeah, I, I mean, it's I'm not sure. it, it, like nothing that's really broken through, but but that's what I mean. Is like I I think because music goes hand in hand with a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, all movies have music. It's inherently um, cinematic. And like that's that's why musicals for so long in the like you know 30s, 40s, 50s into the 60s were one of the major cornerstone genres. It wasn't just that people were familiar with the material already because of stage productions that yeah. helped, but it was also because you point a camera at people in lavish costumes dancing around and singing, it's automatically cinematic. You yeah, know, exactly. your production value is all right there in front of the camera. And so there's, you know, there's still something to be mined from that, even if the sensibility of the classical musical doesn't jive with a modern audience. You can think around that and find a way to subvert it or find a way to reinvent it, um, as this movie does. I also think... I mean, I don't know about you, but I also thought this movie was really funny. Uh, Yeah. It was from 2006, so it was a little like, oh, God. It's 2006 funny. Yeah. Well, I was just like, I I was afraid of how well the humor might have aged. And there's definitely some pretty dumb, like, fart jokes and, and stuff like that. But in general, it's just kind of really silly and yeah. like totally embraces its silliness. Like well, that's uh, the, the stuff that resonates more with me, less so than the the overt like pot jokes. Um, just because yeah. I feel like you know that's been done a lot. But I think just when the movie just like totally abandons um, reality and it, and just slips into total absurdity, that's when it's the most funny. Same with Harold and Kumar. Well, yeah, they, exactly. They create this cartoon fun world that you just like living in like in the again in the first 10 minutes or so uh jack black when he first moves to hollywood gets mugged by this uh fucking clockwork orange yeah by the droogs yeah they they never (laughs) like explain or address like it's just really funny it's a fun reference yeah and and of course, I mean, I think we're both going to go there. The best sequence of the film, hands down, is with uh, the Bigfoot in the oh, claymation yeah. cartoon sequence. Really, just really silly, uh, really... Totally bizarre. Cartoony, yeah. uh, just, just, again, just totally having fun. Totally absurd, yeah. this world. Um, I don't know, it was also just, like, nice to... To go, I, I mean, I think you kind of mentioned this when we when we talked about um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, it, it, this is just like a fun hangout movie. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something I really appreciated about it. Is it's just like, it just felt like, just relaxed. Like, you know, like, I'm just here to have a good time. It's kind of loose. It's even though that, it, you know, with the musical sequences and stuff, it has to kind of click together in a certain way. Um, especially the first half of the film is pretty loose. I would dare say a little too loose. Um, I, again, I think this movie is a little front loaded. I think let's, let's get, you know, let's get past the, uh, introduction of these characters and how they form the band and stuff. Let's cut that. Let's put that in the intro song and then just start from them as 
two dudes trying to make it in clubs in Hollywood and then go from there. I'm going to I'm actually going to disagree with you on that. I because I thought that stuff was was still really funny. Like uh, Kyle, just like the visual of Kyle Gass, this like pretty frumpy looking dude with this like long, luxurious hair acting like a rock star and like Jack Black idolizing him. I thought. That chemistry was very fun and funny, and I actually was like, this is kind of weird because this isn't Tenacious D. Right. Uh, and so then when it became Tenacious D, I was like, oh, that's fun. I, I don't know. I thought it was really funny and, and again, just fit in with this tone of, of just goofiness for the sake of goofy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I you know, it, mileage may vary on... On people's uh, reaction to the first third of the movie. I think it's a little like, let's get to it already. But other than that, I, I had a lot of fun with the movie. And increasingly so as it goes. Um, yeah, it gets to like, uh, it kind of, like it gets to like Bill and Ted levels of kind of ridiculous. Right. Um, when, once it becomes a road movie and we're, we're, you know, trying to find the pick of destiny. And they, they run into all these crazy characters. You know, once we meet like... Ben Stiller with the horrible yeah. wig in, in a guitar center, then, you know, it's about that point it's full on and it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I just thought this was a really good time. I yeah. think, uh, <clears throat> if any of those movies we've described, uh, you know, stoner comedies are your thing, you've definitely already seen this, uh, <laughs> but watch it again. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, uh, the music is great. Yes, yeah. the music is really great. Uh, yeah. There's so many good songs. I mean, uh, uh, Jack Black, he's a pretty good fucking singer. Like, he definitely does it at, in character as, as Jack a comedy. Black. But yeah. he, he just, I, I mean, okay, uh, Jack Black just himself as a performer. Uh, I mean, Kyle's great too, but I, I mean, he's effervescent, Jack Black. He just like, just his pure charisma just gives no fucks is just there to like have a good time and you're either with him or you're not and it fuck it if you're not because he's still having a great time and i just yeah. he's so much fun to watch there was uh, a period uh, of time i think maybe right after this movie came out um and maybe you know possibly like sometime between this and and after uh uh tropic thunder where he had kind of burnt out a little, I think, in the a public little. eye. And I th- it wasn't necessarily anything he was doing. I think just people kind of got, like, sick of seeing him in every other comedy and seeing him doing his thing. And, like, the, that shtick just started to lose its appeal for whatever reason. Yeah. And I mean, it took you know, a while, I think, for people to kind of get nostalgic for it again and to sort of, like, look at his work objectively. I watched one of those things he did. Um, for GQ, you know, they'll have the actors talk about their key performances. Uh-huh. Um, and he did one of those. It was a good like half hour long, and they go over his career. And you're watching all of that, and they didn't even touch on everything. They just touch on the you know the pillars. Um, and you're just like, wow, like yeah, like he's been involved in some major comedy work in the last twenty five thirty years. Like, oh yeah. Like well, I mean, even just this, which, uh, you know, it, it is kind of a blip in the comedy radar. Yeah. Uh, but, like, you know, how many fucking comedians did we just name that came out of this? That, like, yeah. you know, this 
I wouldn't say it was any of their big breaks because they're mostly like tiny cameos, but like... No, I think a lot of people were doing them a favor to be in this movie. <laughs> I mean, some of them at some of them at the time were on well, their mean, way up or on their way down, but... Sure, ben, I mean, Ben Stiller, sure, uh, but like... I think he Amy produced Fuller this. hadn't hadn't hit big yet. Uh, uh, Fred Armisen wasn't on SNL yet, like... 2006? Uh, yeah, 2006. Somebody I just don't think barely he... got on at that point. I'm yeah, not sure. It, it, exactly. Like, it, like they were just kind of like in the hitting? comedy orbit at that time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so I just think, um, but yeah, I mean, Jack Black is like, he's just great. I just love him. He's. It was so fun to just like, kind of time travel back to just like. Yeah, I'm watching Jack Black. Everything's going to be all right for the next hour and a half. Yeah, and if you appreciate their comedy and you appreciate their music, there's no reason you're not going to like this movie. Um, it's not like the best thing that either of them has been involved with, but it's it's pretty funny. It's pretty good. Yeah, and it's it's just I I'm maybe not the best thing, but it, it might be the most Jack Black thing. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's no school of rock, but it's 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 pretty great. Um, did I ever tell you the story how I accidentally saw Kyle Gass? I think so. I think you did, but I may have tell not sure. Um, tell it for the pod. For the pod. For the people. I was uh, invited when I was in California. I was invited to go to this concert event thing that was happening at a pizzeria. Um, the reason I was invited is because my friend who lived in Long Beach, um, was tutoring a kid who was playing in one of these bands. And it was the kid's birthday also. So <clears throat> they were playing first, or one of the first bands I played. You know, this group of 12-year-olds playing cover cover music. And we went and watched that and had pizza and stuff. And I think it was like maybe $10 at the door or something like that. And there was a bunch of local bands I played. It was like a girl punk rock band and a few other things. And like... Sometime during the night, um, I learned that the last person who was going to be playing was the Kyle Gas Band. And I was like, what? Rage Cage is going to be here tonight? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, I didn't tell you that. And I'm like, uh, no. So by the end of the night, I think it was like 10 o'clock or 930 or something. A lot of people had already left by that point because there were so many bands. There was like seven playing all night. And we stayed for the kid's birthday and had cake and everything, too. But, uh, yeah, there was like, I don't know, 25, 35 people or so at the front of the stage watching Kyle Gass do like a whole set um, and played it like, you know, like there were 150 people still there. That's so much amazing. so that I forgot how empty the place was until I looked behind me and I realized like, oh, there's actually not that many people here right now. <laughs> That's incredible and it just makes me think that the the part in the uh movie where he goes to the like the uh frat party yeah uh, probably actually happened i I mean maybe i don't know um (laughs) but he played his ass off it was an incredible show and he's you know doing crowd work and gets down and singing in people's faces and and uh you know plays the penny whistle solos and yeah it was it was that's, a good time. That's great. <laughs> what do we have next week for the uh, for the streaming homework? For the next streaming homework, uh, we we've talked about this movie a lot in in the last few episodes. It came up 
I believe it came up in our conversation with Brian O'Connell, uh, uh, and we mentioned it, I think, it, during our talk about Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, we we have never seen The Guest, uh, directed by Adam Wingard, mm-hmm. um, and that's streaming on Netflix right now. So we're going to check out The Guest. Yes. Uh, starring uh, Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens, yeah, right before he really broke through. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to... To, to talk about that because I've been it's been on the queue for a while yeah same samezies so if anybody has anything to say about any of the topics we brought on this podcast or past um, go ahead if you just want to gush about Jack Black if for you, a little bit you want, what's game? your favorite Jack Black role did you love him in the Jackal Stir. <laughs> you know I think that's the first thing I ever saw him in and I did I thought he was great I yeah. mean it's a small part um, I actually just, uh, I'm going through this uh, X-Files watch. Uh, he was in an episode of X-Files back when he was a baby with a Everybody little, uh, was in an ep- episode oh of X-Files. Oh my God, everybody was in an episode of X-Files. Yeah, uh, that or Ryan Law and Reynolds. Order. Yeah. Um, uh, he w- specifically, he was friends with uh, Giovanna Ribisi, who could like summon lightning. Right. That makes sense. They ran an ar- he ran an arcade shop. Everything you just said makes sense. <laughs> um, so, yes, you can contact us at our email at uh, mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram at mcguffinpod. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. And go ahead and rate us and review us on any of your favorite podcatchers, especially iTunes, Stitcher, and um, Spotify, because I think that's probably where most people are are listening these days. And you can read my reviews that I do every now and then for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal Movies. That'll take you to the movie page where they keep all my reviews. And uh, you can follow me individually on Instagram and Twitter at BC Cassidy. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Keith Foster Kid. Um, you can also check out my art account if you're interested at Sticky Note Aesthetic. All right, and that is the end of the podcast. Get over here! Bye. <laughs> <laughs>